بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to the Enlightened Minds podcast بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب الشرح لصدري ويسر لي أمري وهل الأقتد من لساني يفقه قولي The Battle of Hatim Bayt al-Maqdis Philistine Jerusalem A place dear to the heart of every Muslim A holy land The first Qibla The land of al-Isra wal-Miraj It holds the dome of the rock On which the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu alayhi wasallam Ascended on his night journey to heaven A land blessed with many prophets. It was their home. Dawood alayhi salam, Suleiman alayhi salam, and Isa alayhi salam. They walked its earth and scented its land with their magnificence. Al-Quds is the blood that runs through our veins. Islam reached this land during the time of Umar bin al-Khattab. It was a time when the Muslims were advancing and challenging the superpowers of their day. The Persians and the Byzantines. Some of the ablest Muslim generals, including Khalid ibn Walid and Amr ibn al-As, were sent by Umar into the Byzantine realm. Numerous cities throughout Syria fell. Muslim authority and armies were welcomed by the locals, both Jews and Christians. Why? Because it came to replace a world order of subjugation with one built upon the mentality of seeking the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, resulting in an all-encompassing civilization that welcomed a cornucopia of peoples. In charge of Jerusalem at this time was Patriarch Sophronius, a representative of the Byzantine government and a leader in the Christian church. Although several Muslim armies took it in turn to surround the city, Sophronius refused to surrender the city unless Umar came to accept the surrender himself. Responding to this, Umar bin al-Khattab left Medina, traveling alone with one donkey and one servant. Sophronius was stunned to see that the Khalif of the Muslims one of the most powerful people in the world at that point was dressed in no more than simple robes and was indistinguishable from his servant. Simply dressed perhaps, but enlightened and gifted, Umar preserved the rights and privileges ordained by Islam. The conquered people were to be protected through a treaty, the Treaty of Elia, one signed between Umar and Patriarch Sophronius. In the name of God, the merciful, the compassionate, this is the assurance of safety, which the servant of God, Umar, the commander of the faithful, has given to the people of Jerusalem. He has given them an assurance of safety for themselves, for their property, their churches, their crosses, the sick and healthy of the city, and for all the rituals which belong to their religion. Their churches will not be inhabited by Muslims and will not be destroyed. Neither they 
nor the land on which they stand, nor their cross, nor their property will be damaged. They will not be forcibly converted. At the time, this was by far one of the most progressive treaties in history. This treaty became the standard for Muslim-Christian relations, with rights of the people protected in all situations. And so it remained for 100 years, until one of the darkest chapters in Jerusalem's history. It was 1099 CE. Jerusalem witnessed a cruelty like no other. The Crusaders had entered. Mass slaughter was the order of the day. No Muslim or Jew was spared. The barbarism of the Crusaders shocked even some Christians, and this episode would never be forgotten. William of Tyre's description of the carnage written in the 12th century CE became one of the standard reports of the slaughter. It was impossible to look on the vast numbers of the slain without horror. Everywhere lay fragments of human bodies, and the very ground was covered with the blood of the slain. Still more dreadful was to gaze upon the victors themselves, dripping with blood from head to foot. The city was then systematically ransacked, looted, and when the dead piled up to such an extent that they threatened to spread disease, Muslim prisoners were forced to burn the bodies of their brothers outside the city in huge pyres before themselves being massacred in cold blood. This was Jerusalem under crusader rule. A sanctuary abused, a place subjugated, and Al-Quds came to be occupied under their tyrannical rule for nearly 100 years. Then, the menacing clouds parted, and the glowing warmth revealed by the sun brought a much-needed hope. His name? Salahaddin al-Ayyubi. It was the year 1187 CE, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent this ummah a gallant hero in the blessed month of Ramadan. We saw a leader like no other rise, bold, powerful, and fearless, unparalleled. Many a book has been written about his admirable and impressive exploits. History has not witnessed a leader of such caliber since. The world watched for 100 years while Bayt al-Maqdis lay mercy to a ruthless reign, a reign of terror and tyranny. And Salahuddin responded. This is the moment to cast off laziness, to summon from near and far all those men who have blood in their veins. But we are confident, thanks to Allah, Alhamdulillah, in the help that will come from him and entrust ourselves to him in sincerity of purpose and deepest devotion. And he rode from city to city, uniting the Muslims under the banner of Islam with impassioned speeches, accounting them, reminding them of their duty to their brothers, their sisters, their children. He shook the Ummah out of its slumber awakening a newfound drive and passion to turn the tide. Salahuddin reminded them that without unity, without a bond of brotherhood, 
we would see no change in the plight of Jerusalem's inhabitants. Salahuddin awakened the call for liberation. And so, in the last ten nights of the blessed month of Ramadan, and on the plains of Hatim, a battle was fought to liberate Al-Quds. Salahuddin spent these last ten nights, the nights of Laylatul Qadr, camped ready to liberate the blessed sanctuary. During the day he battled the occupiers, with haste and without rest, and during the night he battled the conflicts in his heart, turning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the most blessed nights of the year, standing in prayer, a great servant. For the first time, Jerusalem was encircled by a Muslim army united under one commander, Salahuddin. This time, the army was ready to fight the mighty alliance of the King of Jerusalem and the other Christian knights and leaders. Salahuddin, a great strategist, deprived the Crusader army of access to water, reducing the soldiers to a tired and disorganized mess. The Crusaders were humiliated many taken prisoner. The battle won, he cleared the way to lay siege outside the walls of Jerusalem. And with Allah's permission, after a lengthy siege, the city surrendered and Salahuddin entered the gates of the city and with him brought back the peace that the city was accustomed to. This time, no blood was shed, no revenge took place. The people were pardoned such is the mercy of Islam. We must apply what we have signed, so none will be able to accuse the believers of violating their treaties. Christians everywhere will remember the kindness we have bestowed upon them. And with these noble words, he forbade harming any of the Christian inhabitants. He guarded their churches, and when chariots full of gold, carpets and goods were taken as the crusaders left the city, Salahuddin not only let them go, but provided them with an escort. Allahu Akbar! Such mercy, such justice, such wisdom came from his faith and duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Jerusalem once again became secured. It was safe and protected for centuries until history repeats and we see Al-Quds occupied again. There are so many lessons to draw from the Battle of Hatim, lessons of courage and sacrifice, of unity and brotherhood, of strategy and planning, of leadership and vision, of justice and of mercy. Here we present three. Lesson one, the Ummah must respond to the cause of the oppressed. How can I smile? How can food and water taste good to me when Masjid al-Aqsa is in the hands of the Crusaders? These are the words of Salahuddin and have provided inspiration for generations. How can we rest while Jerusalem is occupied? Let's look at his mentality. A point of reflection for us all is that the Battle of Hatim took place in the last 10 nights of Ramadan that year, 
and some historians have commented that it was the day after the night of Laylatul Qadr. Whether this is true or not, the significance of Muslims fighting in the peak of the summer and winning such a decisive victory should not be lost on us. Salahuddin's advisers had urged Salahuddin to wait until after the month of Ramadan to engage the enemy. But Salahuddin, after having deeply contemplated the importance of this issue in Islam and the immense duty which fell upon the Muslims to act, disagreed and proceeded with his plan saying, Man's lifetime is short. Death gives no appointment and leaving the occupiers in the Muslim lands for more than a single day, despite the ability to drive them out, is an abominable act that I could not bear. SubhanAllah. He understood his duty, our duty. He knew that this was an act of worship and it being the month of Ramadan was not a hindrance, but a blessing. And what better way to draw closer to his Rabb than to spend its nights camped and ready to liberate the third holiest site in Islam, a land beloved to us all, what we refer to as Al-Haram Al-Sharif, or the Noble Sanctuary. Today our Ummah can learn from the actions of Salahuddin, but we must also draw upon the actions of our beloved Prophet Muhammad himself. For during Salahuddin's time, the Islamic authority still existed. Even though fragmented, Salahuddin was able to reunify the Muslims under one banner before confronting the Crusaders. However, the Prophet Muhammad had to first struggle to establish this authority, and only once achieved did the efforts to rid lands of oppression begin. Lesson 2 the Ummah must unify to achieve this change. Few personalities are as renowned and revered as Salahuddin, and for good reason. Individuals like Salahuddin form a dazzling tapestry of courage, intelligence, honour and steadfastness. They are the threads of our history, and more often than not, they were faced by harsh, seemingly unsurmountable circumstances, yet they overcame the troubles of their times to become guardians of the Muslim Ummah. By the will and help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he laid the final piece of the puzzle and brought together quarrelling Muslims who were consumed with worldly goals and reminded them of their purpose. And what was this? It was the mission that the Prophet Muhammad had left behind for them to spread Islam and defend the deen. Only when the Muslims unite can there be a third liberation of Al-Quds and then its people will be freed from the oppression they are suffering today under the occupation. The influential Christian knight Reynold of Châtillon treated the Muslims in a similar way to the way the Palestinians are treated today. He betrayed the terms of the truce deal, attacking a Muslim caravan going to Hajj. He launched a fleet of ships in the Red Sea and disrupted trading routes that Salahuddin and the Christians had agreed would be kept open. The most unacceptable of all of Reynolds' actions were his threats to attack Makkah and Medina and his insults against the Prophet Muhammad 
Upon hearing of this, Salahuddin was furious. The audacity of Reynold was too much for him to ignore, and he swore to bring him to justice by his own hand. Reynold's actions triggered Salahuddin's immediate response. Are there any Muslim leaders today that have the same determination and drive to respond with immediate action to save the oppressed Muslims? It is our duty as Muslims to ensure there is. Lesson 3. The justice of Islam is unparalleled. Although we might expect Salahuddin to be hated amongst the Crusaders, he became one of the most esteemed Muslim figures of the medieval Islamic world because of the generosity he displayed towards the Christians, despite their brutality against the Muslims. When Salahuddin retook Jerusalem, the Christians waited for revenge. They waited for retaliation. But Salahuddin not only spared the Christians, but treated them honorably, allowing those who wished to leave to do so in peace, and for those who wished to remain to do so in harmony. Only the soldiers were ordered to leave if they were able to pay for their freedom. When the Christian women and children asked Salahuddin to free their husbands and fathers because they had no means to live without them, he was so moved by their grief that out of pity he paid for their freedom himself, freeing 10,000 and his brother paid for 7,000 to be released. He even went as far as opening one of the gates of the city and allowed those to leave who were too poor to pay. He was a living example of a just, progressive and inclusive leader. By showing restraint and peaceful treatment, Salahuddin upheld the central tenets of Islam mercy, justice, and protection. His chivalrous behavior towards King Richard I and their mutual respect won him further praise in those that could not bring themselves to despise him. When Richard fell sick at the Siege of Acre in 1192 CE, Salahuddin not only sent his personal physician to treat him, but sent him ice to help him fight his fever. Can you imagine such leniency and kindness today? This is born out of a deep faith and connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah is all merciful. Who are we to withhold mercy? Salahuddin showed us through his example and through this momentous event, the liberation of Jerusalem, that Islam is truly a mercy for mankind. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Wama arsalnaka illa rahmatan lil'alameen And we have not sent you, O Muhammad, except as a mercy to the worlds. Surah Anbiya, verse 107 Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen Jazakallah khair for listening to the Enlightened Minds podcast. Enlightened Minds is a Muslim youth project with the aim of enlightening thinking, encouraging debate, equipping the next generation and empowering future leaders. If you have benefited from this podcast, please like, share and subscribe. 
السلام علیکم و رحمت اللہ وبرکاتہ